0: Welcome to the Programmatic Digest podcast, your weekly roundups on top programmatic and digital news with expert interview and more. I'm your host, Ellen Parker, your very own Programmatic Sensei. In the Sensei's Corner this week, we welcome Suzanne Wallace, Director of Programmatic Business Solution at Omnicom Media Group. Suzanne is a seasoned marketing professional with over 21 years of digital marketing experience. Her agency and client-side background makes her a well-rounded, innovative marketer with experience in various verticals, including financial, tech, retail, and CPG. Suzanne has a passion for teaching and seeks opportunities to share knowledge about the digital space through a structured curriculum. She is the true definition of a programmatic sensei, which incorporates the very value of lifelong learners. Welcome to the Sunset Corners, Suzanne. We are excited to have you.
1: Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. So we'll cover a, a few articles
0: during this session, and then we'll move on to the next session where we like to shine our diversity light. And then we'll close with a segments asking you about a few tips. Are we ready for this? Yes. Yes. Cool. So the first article I wanted to point out is an article from a columnist, Richard Whitman from the Media Post called ANA Anna Highlights in House Agency growth concern. So the Association of National Advertisers, ANA, is out with a new report that that finds 78% of its members have an in-house agency. That's up from 58% in 2013 and 42% in 2008. The two biggest concerns about in-house agencies reported by ANA members, according to a survey, says that 63% are concerned about keeping talent energized and 44% is attracting top-tier talent. So, Suzanne, I know you're leading a full team of programmatic ninjas uh, at Omnicom. Is that something that is reflected there or in your previous work with brands and agency?
1: That is definitely something we are encountering more and more in working with our clients. It's affecting the business that we are managing. They are now taking it in-house. I think also how it is affecting us is finding senior-level management that, is, that has an expertise in, in programmatic. So for example, we've had companies that have taken their programmatic components in-house, thinking that they can either use managed service or do it themselves. And I think what they're starting to realize is that it's much more than what they thought we were doing. Um, it's much more of a learning challenge. It's much more research and partners. And it's much more overwhelming than they initially thought. We made it look easy, so they thought they could do it. Some of them are actually coming back to us and we're starting to work with them again. Um, We're starting to serve as consultants. So I think if there can be a balance of doing and managing some things in-house, but still allowing that agency and the innovation and the expertise of the agency have a presence, that's a win-win for the brand. I think also when you're talking about finding that talent and keeping people energized and engaged, the work-life balance on an agency can sometimes be an imbalance and you can oftentimes get bored being on the client side because you're only working on that one brand. So I think there's ebbs and flows of that coming from client side. I loved it, would love to end up and go back to that, but there's something about the agency that keeps you fresh and new Um, and and brands are going to struggle with that. And it depends on the person and where they are in that career, in their career, that will determine where they start to to net out. When you want more, you can access that agency life when you're ready to kind of zero in and, and, and have some work life balance. And that's not to say that you can't have work life balance at an agency. Um, it's just a little less prevalent um, because there's so much work to do. There's so much to do. And because there's so much when they take it in house, they're not realizing all of the nuances that come along with it. And I think we're, we're trying to balance where we where we can truly add value with that client. And I think the client is actually starting to appreciate more of that, too.
0: We've definitely gone through this change where clients would hire somebody in-house and then a few months later, progressively just reduce those media want and ask. And they do realize that in an agency, we tend to wear different hats. So it's not always black and white. We Mm -hmm. have one responsibility. Yes, we have a job description, but you really feel that team connected, especially if the team is actually truly one team like we feel how we wear somebody else's hat sometimes or we step in here and there so it's very interesting that even at a larger scale like uh, somebody like Omnicom you guys are still because my agency could be considered a little bit more like medium size Mm -hmm. uh, mid-size especially on the paid media side so well, and then you did mention that being on the brand side you are going to only work and focus on one brand and one thing which is which is something that Whitman mentioned um, in his h- article that usually top executive a- agencies at agencies are usually well compensated but moving towards a brand side that might mean they'll may re- it may require like a cut of what they're usually mm-hmm. used to earning and also is less likely to have crazy hours so it is a balance not a work-life balance, but a balance about where you are in your career and where you would want to move in. Exactly. Uh, that's pretty okay. So last question on this article for you. If whenever an agency partner or a brand partner comes to you and say, listen, we're going to take it in-house. How do you, do you approach that? Do you have a solution about, Hey, not so much to deviate the, the brand, but to explain that, yeah, we support you but here's what you want to know. Like, What would you say to that brand?
1: I think that's when we're starting to learn to put more of a consulting agency uh, hat on and be more of their consultants. Uh, We want to support and, and allow our clients to do what they feel is best for their business is their business. But we also know where our expertise lies. So we want to empower them to ask the best questions. We want to make sure that they're not Being led down the wrong path because you you got salespeople that are are usually a part of bringing that in house and or using a tool to bring it in house and and you don't necessarily have the people that are in there doing it day to day and so it's about Mm -hmm. really leveraging what they've been sold and what tools they've been told sold on on how to bring that in house and allowing them to ask the right questions so that they're making the best decisions when we approach it that way and they run into challenges. They come back to us when things are not maybe uh, what was promised. They then come back to us, and so we become an ongoing resource, uh, a valuable component of their business to help them navigate and and really start to, to figure out what's best for them. But th- there's there's point. no formula. There's no well, let's go down right. this road. Like definitely, we we've been trying to figure that out for a while now. And again, I think that happens much more with clients that are mid to small or mid to mid, mid, mid-sized type of companies, um, the larger ones, they will have brand people. They will have people managing pieces of that business. So their view of in-house is a little different. They're not actually executing hands on keyboard um, in-house. Um, and and when, a, when a company tries to do that, they, they definitely um, don't always realize what they're taking on.
0: Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. We're going to move on to our next article here on Walmart reshuffling leadership for better integration of digital and physical stores. It's an Mm -hmm. article from AdAge and the Bloomberg News. So just to recap for our listeners, this is the second time Walmart goes through an internal restructure. When Walmart bought Jet.com three years ago, the profits numbers were not as optimistic as the industry and Walmart predicted to become. Now, Walmart is looking to fully integrate Jet.com into a larger company and reduce or combine that management team. So Walmart is going through this again. The numbers, the online numbers are growing steadily but not as fast as what they were expecting. What do you think about what Walmart is trying, you know, restructuring that team, migrating one team into one and reducing the management unit there? Have you you gone
1: through a similar merge or acquisition? I think every company I've been at has gone through some sort of merge or acquisition, which is (laughs) extremely interesting Um, I started off at the dot-com, so that merger was being a part of a larger uh, company. Um, Now I am at a holding company and was previously at the trading desk or the programmatic arm of that holding company that is now being integrated into each one of the agencies of Omnicom. So I think we're all experiencing what those integrations look like because we're all trying to figure out how to navigate um, the changing world of technology and how it impacts how we do business and how it changes our lives in general. Um, so I, I I think it's interesting that even from a Walmart perspective, they're having some of the same challenges that we as an agency or as a holding company are also going through. Uh, everyone wants to be efficient. Everyone wants to make sure that you've got the right talent lined up and that you're, you're cross you're building cross-functional type of teams to handle uh, both your in-store sales as well as online and, and managing all the different facets of of business that's prevalent within a holding company like Omnicom um, because you've got search, social, programmatic, you've got creative folks, you've got out of home, out of home is now becoming more digital. You've got TV, which is now becoming more digital and being able to be brought programmatically So you've got two worlds kind of merging into one and you have people that have specialties in one or the other and not really blending them. So it really speaks to training. It speaks to understanding the differences with that traditional piece and the digital piece and and merging those together. So I think what they're experiencing is what a lot of companies are experiencing and it's how you navigate it. I think it's also interesting that Amazon is that primary competitor and it shows the powerhouse that Amazon is. Walmart was the power, still is a powerhouse, but was the one that was kind of, you know, allowing those mom and pop or smaller businesses to, to struggle. And now they're struggling because of a powerhouse like Amazon, because Amazon doesn't have that brick and mortar piece. They don't have physical stores. So it, it really shines the light on uh, the power of Amazon and their data and How are they then able to leverage that from a marketing perspective for advertisers to go in and kind of leverage that? So I think all of that plays a part into that. So I thought that article was actually pretty interesting to read.
0: So looking at the actual team, how would you, how am I going to say that? How would you make sure to protect the employees or the actual team members, not only sanity, but enthusiasm about this merger about another team migrating into your own what would be your do's and don'ts or like a quick tip to that team member like the programmatic ninja that is going to actually be in the back end trying to implement and nurture some of that those changes because change is not easy no it is not not everybody likes change not everyone (laughs) likes
1: change and I say that's always one of our interview questions is how do you feel about change because everyone thinks change is uh always for the the better? How do you deal with change when it's it's not always the greatest thing ever? (laughs) I would say I I like to level set. This is not going to be easy, but we can get through this. And here's how. We know what we do. Let's be proficient in that. Let's outline the process. Let's make sure we're clear in communicating what it is that we do so that we can understand what they do so that we can find the overlaps and that we can start to identify what Will their team continue to do? What will we start to do? How do we figure yeah. it out? We mm-hmm. there's no one that just maps it out and then says, hey, do this. Typically when a merger happens, direction is just given and then the people that are are, are doing it every day have to, to to figure it out. So let's let's start that process. And you start by understanding the process that you have, the process that they have, where's the overlap? Mm-hmm how do you then sign, start to assign how do you then start to cross educate around why they do what they do why we do what we do what impact it has on campaigns what impact it has on the total business i think when you start to have those types of conversations it becomes very factual and you take that emotion out of it of am i going to have a job you know what you do right. you know what value you bring this is why you will have a job this is what you can learn mm-hmm. to start to level up to the next next stage so that you're not stuck in something that could be obsolete moving forward in a couple years. So it's it's about acknowledging that change is about growth. Change is about how do you continue to learn? That is to me where you start to release some of the pain points of those integrations and feeling that anxiety of, I don't know what's happening or not really understanding. A lot of folks that I work with are, are they're, they're young in their careers. And so this might be the first time that they've ever gone through that. Again, I've gone through it so often that I'm not very phased by it. It's about understanding what does this do to my day to day and just pushing through it. So my calmness is another thing. (laughs) If you have a manager that doesn't know how to navigate, it does create a different type of environment. But because I am familiar with it, I feel like I have a good grasp on how to navigate, how to ask questions, how to direct them through this process, and then check in with them and ask them how they're feeling. Ask them what do they want to learn? What what have they learned? um, And to see if they can identify opportunities for themselves. Uh, This is not the the days of where you start a career and and you continue through that career 20 years. This is about how do you evolve? How do you grow? How do you change? And so your exposure to a different type of team, a team that does something different really allows you to start thinking about your career differently and, and it starts to elevate you. And hopefully that type of thinking will continue to create great talent moving forward. So I think that's where I net out. Those are some of the tips that I have. Those are some of the things that I've experienced. They've worked really well, um it, it's unavoidable that change is going to cause that anxiety, but it's how you respond to it uh, that really shows maturity and, and shows how, how how you can have that career growth. And how do you how do you parlay that into career growth?
0: That's a great, I think, segue into our next article, which is an article from AdAge as well. Title of the article is Getting Comfortable with Discomfort Mm -hmm. and Other Things I Learned as a Small Agency, and it's an article by Sharon Napier. She's a CEO of Partners and Napier and was the keynote at AdAge's first small agency conferences 10 years ago. And the article is just her looking back on some of the changes and evolution in the last decades that her own agency went through. Mm -hmm. Some of the advice during her first keynote speech was... Using the same strategic rigor to define your agency brand as you would for a client. The second one is overcome your inner control freak and trust your team. Invest in a culture that attracts and keeps the best people. Three is create, sell, and deliver ideas all while earning client trust, winning new business, and building new capabilities. So before we get into the lessons, she's learned since since her first speech, what's your take on those three initial advice? I
1: think that's a good start. As things change, that's going to change. I think when you talk about investing in a culture, culture is not something to me that is very cookie cutter. And what I have found is if I allow each individual to invest in the culture, I'm able to support that. So I'm more so wanting to support a culture versus invest in a certain type of culture. I want to hire people that contribute to the culture. I don't want to establish 100% the culture. I want people to add and evolve the culture. So I think there might be some changes there in, in that thought process. When you invest and have that energy about your brand, you want to be excited about your brand. But oftentimes as an agency... You absorb that brand thought process that might seem to be a challenge. But I think as far as what she's thinking in the beginning, I think those are all really good points to keep in mind moving forward. So I'd be interested in, you know, kind of seeing how and why her advice might differ and what she learned from it. Some of the
0: lessons she shared uh, from her own advice, actually, are as follows. She said, grow with intention. In that part, she mentioned how they had to adapt after losing one of their gorilla clients, which represented, I think, 60 to 70% of their deal of agency revenue. She said, "You know, pitch less, win more, focusing on quality leads over volume and maximizing her internal resources. And then she added, don't get comfortable. She started offering three core services, and then 10 years later, they are a fully integrated agency. So she is now offering everything from media to brand content strategy to creative to all of it, you name it. You know, we talked about cultural The culture and how important it is. We also talked about how important change is in our industry, in Mm -hmm. the programmatic realm. Those aligns with the conversation we're having right now. It's, It's super interesting. As a small agency, she was humble enough to point out all of these, but... Do you think some of those changes are pretty, you're seeing the same changes in in a big agency like Omnicon? And again, and maybe even like on the brand side, because we're all adapting. And I've worked for an agency that was about the same, had one or mm-hmm. two guerrilla clients and they both left and the mm-hmm. department is has closed. And now actually they, they closed themselves, unfortunately, after 20 years, I think, being in the industry. What are what are your point of view here on, on some of these lessons or any similarities with a big agency versus a brand?
1: I would say even a big agency still has some of those challenges in the sense of quality versus quantity. We go through that a lot. There are certain agencies with an omnicom that really go for those big fish. Um, they want the volume, but when one of those clients in volume has a problem, then what do you have? Um, so you have to be able to think in a very diverse way. Of I need to have some midsize. I need to have some small size that could possibly grow that have potential of growth, and then I want the the big fish um, to sustain the business, but I can't be comfortable. I have to remain innovative. I have to keep bringing the new ideas into play. And I think sometimes we get complacent in saying, we'll do what we did last year and then try this innovative piece. Um, And sometimes you just have to step back and, and revisit the whole thing. We all run into those types of challenges. I would say some agencies don't have as much of the larger players in in the advertising world. So they have to really focus on different types of servicing, different elements being more, more to the client than just a media buying agency. They want to make sure that they're leveraging the creative and leveraging other pieces of that. Similar with search and social, if you're only doing search, how do you now start to diversify and start to have conversations about programmatic? How do you cross, how do you introduce different channels? How do you introduce different um, ways and different services to help your business flourish when it may hit a wall or you run into problems because businesses run into problems as well. And I experienced that, what was it, early 2000s, where everyone was getting venture capital firms and everyone was uh, spending money in media. And then all of that disappeared pretty much. And that was when I went through my first of three rounds of layoffs um, with different companies. And so you experience that ebb and flow and, and it's part of the industry in general, Um, But I would say you have to be thinking ahead of the game. You can't just stay in that moment and say, I'm good here. You have to be thinking about what's next. You have to be thinking about that educational piece and how do you grow. I'm not necessarily, you know... an average an agency owner, but I would think that all of those types of thought processes, you can hear that in the conversation of how do we get more into technology? How do we build platforms? How do we understand the data more? How are we leveraging the buying arm of Omnicom in addition to actually executing and actual creating the ads and things of that nature? So, Holding companies are starting to to own that and they're buying those smaller companies that have that niche to be able to service that because as a holding company you can't just create it you just can't start training people you've got people out there doing it um, so let's leverage that and that's why these holding companies have so many smaller companies in it it, it, it surfaced in the, the Walmart uh, article as well you know you you've got specialty shops so you could also have the flip side of, of her component of if she specialized in something. How does she then uh, leverage that and being maybe purchased? Um, So I think there's, there's all different kinds of aspects of looking at it. So I think her perspective is valuable. It's worked for her. It's what has been done. And I think small businesses need to have that exposure to the different types of thought process to see, does that work for them? And what is their end goal? And I think that is what is most important to small businesses, is how do you get exposure To all of that, because I think when you're at a larger company or an Omnicom type of parent company or holding company, you get that exposure. You don't have to necessarily go out and seek it. You have teams of people that are doing it. I feel like when I was at smaller agencies or client size, smaller clients, I had to intentionally and be purpose uh, be be really much thinking about how do i get this information how do i learn where are my resources what conferences do i need to go to how do i get that exposure to right, start to right. process that and i think ultimately that's that's part of some of those differences so we all have them we have to address them a little differently and
0: i want to go back to something you said because that's what the small agency Adish conference is all about being able to give visibility to smaller to mid-sized agencies mm-hmm. like one of my agencies that i've worked with but i want to highlight from one one thing you said that i think is so important is that some small. Smaller agencies are more likely to partner with expert shops. I've also seen agencies are more likely to hire freelancers, but on a different level. So we're, we're used to hiring freelancers on a creative side or just as a virtual assistant, but now we're seeing this small movement or hiring a based on contract of like a programmatic mm-hmm. display specialist or mm-hmm. a programmatic media planner that are specific, not firstly se just uh, sending a project to a creative expert, but how likely are you on your own team to reach out and say, wait, we we just had this influx of campaign. The, the client is testing this instead of going to hire a full-timer because this is still at a higher risk, even though we know that we all wear <laughs> a different hat yep. in the agency. Mm-hmm. How likely are you to make maybe Maybe instead of calling a whole creative shop with like another smaller size agency, would you be open to hiring like a freelancer, like how to use uh, MediaMath or the Trade Desk? That's less training on my end. Just go ahead and onboard that person and start optimizing this campaign. And then we'll see how it goes. Is that something maybe Omnicon or even you as um, a team lead or as you oversee your, your department, is that something you're likely to experience in the future or even now?
1: We're experiencing it. It's a little different, but we are experiencing it. And here's how it's surfacing for me or the team that I'm managing. Mm -hmm. We we have become more and more that resource because all of our clients here in Charlotte come from the other regions. We have developed a team. That is that resource because outsourcing or um, being able to have a freelance, those are options, but that requires different components of HR and different types of processes. We don't always know what we're getting when we get someone from a freelance, even though they're saying that. So it's not always ideal, but an option. But what we've also started to address is to develop a team that we can grow and that we can educate about programmatic. So when we do have those fluctuations, we have a team that we can tap into. I manage a team like that, or we call them flex teams, that when you have a couple people that might leave from a New York office that leaves a gap in a, in a client that they're working on, they now have resources here that they can tap into that can jump in and start asking questions and service that account and be hands on keyboard to trade. That has surfaced. We are working through that solution. And then there's ebbs and flows with that solution. How do you career path them? How do you uh, continue their education? How do you keep them stimulated in growth? So there are some accounts that will stay and there are some accounts that once they hire back in that region, will go back and forth. They'll, They'll go back to that region. But it still gives my team that exposure to working on something larger it gives them exposure into the volume and the different type of structure that's in um, a large CPG type of client. Or the, the way I frame that is that it's not like it's just coming to you as an afterthought. It's coming to you to give you that exposure. So now you can parlay that into an opportunity to utilize that. Also, if you are interested in going to that region, we definitely support moves to New York, Chicago, and LA to support for that reason. So we, we are addressing it. It's been a work in progress, I'll say, because you're, you're talking about people in their careers. And so you have to be mindful of that. We are trying to go through that process of what can we outsource? What, what, are, what are we doing that maybe is what's deflating people so that they're leaving and causing the gaps so that we do have to utilize the team like that? How are we burning people out? How are we growing people? Because to me, that's where those freelancers are starting to come from. They don't want to be in that structure. They're getting burnt out and they're finding a need to be able to service other folks on their time, in their environment, working remotely and so on and so forth. So let's understand maybe where that's coming from and start to address that in the workplace. Do we need to have more working from home options? Do we need to be more flexible? Do we need to educate? Do we need to to be able to address those issues so that those that are going into freelance having those opportunities why, why are they doing that and what's the advantages of doing that versus actually working on a company? I think we're, we're looking at it from a very multifaceted component and we're trying to address it in the same way. It hasn't been easy. We are finding success in this setup that we have now. Still a work in progress, still working and trying to figure out how to make it better. This is this is something that makes you think about it a little differently.
0: Right. I think it's great feedback. It's really interesting that you're looking at that flex team and how how versatile it's going to be and, and how it's going to service other regions. Because indeed, you are seeing the New Yorks and then the Los Angeles media agencies. And cause I know a lot of folks like on the East Coast that are not in big agencies or being, I mean, I'm mean, i sorry, big region like the New Yorks that are very talented. But then it's really cool that at least Omnicom is looking at different aspects and really attacking the The why versus just addressing the aftermath. And now we can move on to the um, articles number four, which is just an agency brief adage um, due once a week. And this one talks about WPP and Kentar empowering female athletes and other ad lens moves. And it's an article from Lindsay Rittenhouse. And this article covered quite a few things, but I just wanted to focus on a particular piece where she is uh, highlighting Western men forming the collective, which is a new division dedicated to raising the visibility of women in sports, entertainment and culture. So the global sports and entertainment agency Western Men, represent more than 150 of world's top female athletes, including Megan Rapinoe, mm-hmm. our co captain of U.S. women's soccer team. We've seen brands like Secrets and Procter and Gamble supporting and making donations to this team, the women's, um, the U.S. women's soccer team, because of the team suing the U.S. Soccer Federation for discrimination in March. Mm-hmm. I think it was last March mm-hmm. for its failure to pay them as much as the man's team, which has not won mm-hmm. once, <laughs> mm-hmm. one FIFA World Cup. Yeah. What's your point of view as a consumer and as a marketer when brands get involved with in like social justice or social inter- injustice uh, cases, like what's happening, for instance, in this article?
1: <laughs> I, as a consumer, pay very close attention to that and I will switch brands. I will start to pay more attention to that brand. Um, I would say I've always paid attention to who is very specific and intentional in marketing to me as an African American and as a woman. And I pay attention to that. And I always have when they are jumping in on those types of topic, whether it's something I support or do not support, I definitely pay attention to that. And I will start to make decisions based on that. So I am definitely uh, aware and uh try to try to be mindful of that as i'm making my purchase decisions because i think there there's value in that it speaks to the the company values it speaks to are they really just about making money or are they about really addressing some of those issues and i think the more that they start to do that the more you start to see the shift companies that are aware of issues along with diversity to me, are the companies that I want to pay attention to. And if I ever think about career shift, I want to be able to, to remember and think about that as well as my purchasing decisions.
0: This is not particularly in the articles, but it's a question that I wanted to ask you. And even within your team, you address the question of diversity and inclusion. And again, this is not in the article, mm-hmm. but based on our conversations here, I really want to know how you address diversity and inclusion um, in your team? How diverse is your team? How, how much effort do, do you make, or even in your hiring counterpart to make in terms of making sure that all are represented from a different background, whether cultural, religious, um, gender, even gener- generational, do you have an internal process that makes sure that this is actually addressed and followed? Or is that you don't even have to go through this process because your team is always very diverse and the, the amount of talent, the top talent that you hire are, are very diverse from the
1: get go? I think as a company, mm-hmm. we try to be mindful of the opportunities that come with a diverse team. When you start off that way, it will ultimately naturally start to result in what you want. So when we're going out and recruiting, we're not just going to those top schools, we're going to surrounding schools, HBCUs, we're going to different schools in the area. And for me, being new to Charlotte, I had to learn what those schools were. Mm -hmm. wanted to reach out to not just the schools that were top 10, but to go out um, to different areas and seek out talent and connect with the university professors and career centers for different universities. So that automatically brings us a different set of audiences. There's been things that we've learned about that um, in regards to opportunities, in regards to the level of internships and the types of programs that they have. And what I encourage when interviewing folks, talking to my team is to, not, to listen to the transferable skill sets and to not only look at the internship that they might've had or not had, yeah. What is the skill set that they're bringing to the table that can that we can leverage that we can grow? and i and I think what's interesting for us is that we don't find people coming out of school with programmatic talent or programmatic no. experience. No. So you have to start off at ground zero, right? So you yes. can find people that maybe have done search and social, but you're not finding people that have, oh, well, I've done an internship and I worked on a DSP for a year or for six months. You don't see that. You don't find that. So now it forces us to say, what is the transferable skill set? Can they learn it? Are they excited about data? How does that change the conversation? So I think we from the programmatic perspective, have to be aware that we're not gonna find it. So we need to look differently at it. And that has made the team diverse. Um generationally, I don't know if I have necessarily a diverse team. I have a very young team. I have a hard time with that. I'm probably the I'm probably the, the diversity there. And, and you, you can tell by my language sometimes. And uh, we were in a meeting the other day and a vendor mentioned when you videotape something and I just thought it was hilarious. And everybody in the room was kind of like, videotape? <laughs> no, like, oh, hilarious. Oh my God. Um, so, you know, Funny. things are changing when it comes to that. But I think being able to tap into some maturity and and get them talking to people that are at different stages of the career. I definitely want them to do that. I definitely encourage them to find a mentor so that I can get them that exposure to different generational perspectives, because I think that does add value. Um, I also encourage them to read different books, new managers and things of that nature to offer additional education. Very clear with my team that this is a career. This is not a job. It's not a nine to five Mm -hmm. that you check out on. And sometimes people hear that as no work life balance, and that's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that this is a career, this is something that you want and choose to do. So, how do you grow yourself? Because I can't teach you and grow you in every way. You have to have a desire and a drive to want to do that yourself, but I will help you try to find the resources so that you can empower yourself. So, I think in that element, that has allowed me to have a very diverse team. We started with a very diverse team because we went to different schools and we picked um, the talent from places from Texas to Virginia. We had a couple people here from Charlotte where we started the team with eight. We're now at about 15. So I think diversity is, a part of the equation i don't think it's intentionally set out of we want to hire you because you have a different background mm-hmm. um, but i think because we are aware that we need a skill set that maybe you wouldn't normally get in class or from the academics it forces us to think more out of the box and it has ultimately created a very diverse team nice
0: that's, that's pretty cool thank you for sharing that right now moving on to the next segment where we like to shine our diversity light on an agency a brand or creative or anything related that's that's done diversity right or wrong do you have anyone in mind like that you'd like to share
1: the advertiser that talks about the african-american perspective it's like a man and he goes through his days he's a lawyer he ends up being a judge Oh, that's png PNG. PNG. okay Uh, the
0: look that one is the look
1: The look. okay, that resonates to me. And I think we've even talked about that before. The look from P&G stopped me in my tracks and I watched the entire commercial and I was like, oh, wow. Again, I'm not exactly super clear on if it was addressing any particular brand. It was just thought provoking. I am biracial. I see more and more biracial types of commercials as well. So I'm seeing just in general an overall shift in some of what brands are starting to do. I I, I look at it from, of course, my view. So I'm also noticing more and more African-Americans that are more natural versus straight hair. Mm -hmm. We are embracing our natural state versus always having to conform. So I'm noticing things across the board, not always associated with a particular brand. I think I'm just noticing at more volume the differences in what I'm seeing on TV um, in regards to what the family structure looks like and what we as individuals look like and how we're representing ourselves. So I would say that's probably what's resonating the most to me PNG to me is leading the pack in that, from the Cheerios commercials to the look commercial, or not even a commercial, but the message that they're sending. I think those are, are powerful.
0: So, first, it was the talk where PNG's highlighted, yes. uh, you know, black mm-hmm. mamas talking to their kids and telling them about what's going on in these streets and how. Yes. Um, and I covered that in one of my episodes before where his name was Jeff from the Saturday morning show. And he highlighted that, yeah, uh, PNGs, uh, we appreciate you being able to bring up some of those uncomfortable conversation. However, you are still taking the Black men out of the family unit, which is a problem overall as a society here in America. PNGs went back and said, okay, let's take
1: a look on that
0: perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. We still have so much work to do. Yeah, it's,
1: yes, it's such a long road and we've we've come we've come far. There is still long to go. And when you have an environment is like it is now, it really starts to surface things that have you thought were just very buried and they're they're resurfacing mm-hmm. and it, and it's building character, having to address and deal with it in a day-to-day type of situation. That that, Mm -hmm. that got a little deep. Sorry, (laughs)
0: no, it it was a little far beyond
1: the advertising world. But you know, I I don't see very many. I don't see a lot of diversity within advertising. I'm seeing more and more of it now, and that's one of the reasons
0: why I make this segment only about diversity, whether it's on the programmatic and digital side, whether it's personal, because ultimately we're just humans working in this industry. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> I like <laughs> to remind people that we're not brain surgeons. So though some things like that. We have to, it's important. We have to talk about it. And I've had, I've had comments in the middle of, um of uh, conferences before meetings, because I, I am not mixed. I was born and raised in Senegal, and I'm from Cape Verde, which is um, a Portuguese island. And Cape Verdean people, we we come in all shades, but my shade is like light skin. Mm-hmm. And so when I would say things like, "Oh, I'm I'm from West Africa, born and raised in Senegal," oh wait, you don't look African, and I'll just pause and say, "Well, I'm sorry. What what does an African look like? Please yeah. enlighten me."
1: But it'll also come,
0: I also come mean, <laughs> not from my Caucasian counterpart it will also come from an African American yes. counterpart mm-hmm. And so there's education to needs to happen but this is why I I have this conversation every single episode and I will continue not because I'm I want people to I don't want to intimidate anyone, but if you hear me say things or if you just heard Suzanne say something and you're feeling uncomfortable, then stay in that uncomfortable, mindset and position because then it's going to push you to get out and understand why you were hopefully hopefully you're that human being that's going to be like wait why am I even uncomfortable hearing this maybe I have certain biases that I need to address which is fine because I do Mm -hmm. and Suzanne you do as well we all have biases but if you know you do then be mindful think stay uncomfortable and try to reach out or learn a little bit more and kind of advance that knowledge beyond those biases. And I, I think that's a conversation that I'm always going to push for. And I, and I like the fact that you even have, you've noticing this, the changes as I am noticing because our the previous generation, like I'm Bob and dad, like I like to say, did not have that type of conversation. Correct. I can guarantee you yeah. that. Correct. Not that they didn't want to, they just didn't know better. Let's go ahead and move towards the closing segment where we, I like to ask every single guest if they want to share at least three fun facts about themselves in less than 20 seconds. Oh gosh.
1: (laughs) Oh, three fun facts. I was not ready for this one. Uh, I just bought a house. My dream, because I grew up at age 13, owning a dairy, wanting to own a Dairy Queen. I still have that dream. And I have a little geriatric cat. My cat is super old. He's like 70, (laughs) but I'm a cat person. (laughs) Congratulations
0: on your home. That's exciting. Yes, thank you. And finally, any parting advice for any freshman ninjas getting into the industry? Quick to-dos and don'ts. Maybe a tip
1: that you learn along the way. I would say quick to-dos. Learn, learn, learn. Ask questions. Be inquisitive. I would also say things that I've learned, the most valuable work is oftentimes the work that you don't do in the office, mm. which is networking, reading, self-development. So I would say those two takeaways would be my advice to to folks.
0: Do you have any quick advice to another African-American woman trying to get into the industry? Is there anything else that you would want to address with her or with myself?
1: I would say be comfortable with who you are and what you bring to the table work your network, cross the board. But I think oftentimes we almost shy away from each other and not necessarily gravitate to each other. I would encourage you to to gravitate and to ask the questions and to set up maybe time to talk to people that are where you want to be that look like you and to have some conversations with them because that one-on-one time it is is very valuable in everyone's perspective and everyone's story is a little different. So if you if you identify it and you identify a person that you can talk to, schedule 15 minutes of coffee time or something like that to just have mm-hmm. a conversation with them. Um, I think that would go a long way coming from an African-American woman perspective.
0: Thank you so much for those feedback. I mean, I didn't want to speak and cut you off, but I was in the background clapping, just jumping around (laughs) because it just spoke through my soul. And I wanted to say a little louder for the people in the back. You're preaching to the church. But I I, I was like, let's remember the quality of the sound and shut up on this one. But thank you so much for all your feedback. We're pretty excited to have you today. And hopefully in the next few months, we'll have you again.
1: Awesome. Thank you for having me.
0: Again, you will find everything we've discussed today, including Suzanne's information, show notes, and all referred articles on our website, programmaticdigest.com. Please take a few minutes to leave us a review wherever you're streaming this podcast and share with anyone you know can benefit from it. In conclusion, fam, we're all humans working in the fast advancing industry. So as a reminder, we're not saving lives, y'all. At the end of the day, our mission on this podcast is to share knowledge, highlights, diversity, and educate ourselves as we build this community of programmatic ninjas or families, as we would say in my African culture. Stay confident.